When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, I'm Tom Clark, and this isn't Headspace. No, in fact, we at Prospect have just launched a new free weekly podcast. It's called How to Fix. And each week, Steve Bloomfield and guests will attempt to solve a particularly thorny issue that has stumped many a politician and world leader. So, as a little gift to you, here's the first episode. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe again for free now at prospectmagazine.co.uk slash howtofix or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my name is Steve Bloomfield and this is How To Fix, the new weekly podcast from Prospect where we try to fix some of the country's and the world's most challenging issues. Too much coverage of politics focuses on personalities, not policies. And on those rare occasions when policy is discussed, it's often rushed, shallow, reduced to political point scoring. How To Fix, we promise, will be very different. There'll be no sound bites and no talking heads arguing with each other. There'll be no hectoring interviewer demanding yes-no answers to complex questions. And, I'll be honest, we won't necessarily find an answer. What I can promise is this. We'll find great experts, we'll try to ask the right questions, and we'll let them talk. We'll also, and this is important, look at how things work elsewhere in the world. Too often, British politics ignores what's happening abroad, but there is much we can learn from other countries, and we'll bring in an expert or two from another nation each week. Over the next 12 episodes, we will tackle some of the biggest dilemmas facing politicians in the UK, including social care, housing and funding for the NHS. We'll also look further afield, the future of UN peacekeeping, NATO, refugee camps. So, let's crack on. This week, how to fix social care. I mean, everyone talks about the costs of properly funding the health and social care in future. But the costs are here anyway. It's just where do they fall? The cost of of putting the social insurance element in place is not big. Two billion pounds, not a very significant amount. There's not enough government oversight that the people in the nursing homes are actually treated well. In a moment, I'll be joined by Andrew Dilnot, who's literally written the report on this. We'll also hear from the Labour MP Liz Kendall. And we'll head to Berlin to see how the Germans do it and whether it's something we could copy. But first, here's prospect Stephanie Boland to explain what the problem is. Steph, hello. Hi, Steve. Okay, what is it that we're actually talking about when we say the word social care? Basically, we're talking about a lot of things that I think we would rather not talk about. (laughs) So we're talking about everything from caring for the elderly to mental health care, disability support care, basically any scenario in which people need a little bit of extra help and support to live their lives. Why then has it traditionally been so hard 
for politicians, but also, I guess, the public to grapple with this issue? Well, the problems here, I think, are basically threefold. We don't really know how to deal with it. We don't really know whose job it is to deal with it. And as is so often the case with these things, we don't know who is going to pay for it. Okay, three quite big issues there, particularly the last one. Let's go back then to the general election, where social care was briefly the hot topic. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah, so this became particularly clear during the election campaign when we had the so-called dementia tax, which I think is a label that's enough to put anyone off. So and, and also doesn't actually make sense for what it is, because it wasn't necessarily a tax. It wasn't necessarily a tax, and it wasn't necessarily limited to dementia, no. but this kind of effective language obviously you know, did its job. What they were saying is that if you hold assets of more than £100,000, and practically speaking that's assets in property, some of that money should be used to pay for your social care. And it's worth noting that Part of the reason it was controversial was it would have affected a lot of people. But that's also sort of the reason it wasn't a terrible policy. In fact, there are only three local authorities in Britain where the median house price is less than £100,000, according to a BBC survey. So they were addressing a pot of money that is there. But obviously people feel very protective about their property. (laughs) Yeah, there was a big U-turn, essentially, the moment that people realised that, hey, if my house is worth £3 million and I only get to keep £100,000 in assets, and I've got to pay £2.9 million towards my care if it obviously reaches that high. And people want to pass things on to their children. People feel very protective of property. Our houses are places that are quite emotionally tied to us. So, you know, in terms of a a tack line from the Labour Party, it had everything they wanted. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, so it's difficult to pay for. It's politically very, very tricky, as we've seen. There's also an issue, and obviously these things are linked, with the quality of care that actually exists at the moment. Right. So we know that a third of nursing homes fail the Care Quality Commission inspection. There's a lot of places where good care is not being provided. And as Polly Toynboy noted in The Guardian, actually some councils pay as little as £2.24 an hour to, and this is her phrase, warehouse people. And we've obviously had scandals like the Mid-Staff scandal in yeah. 2009, problems with NHS care and a culture of care that was attacked quite stridently in the report following this. And of course then we've had, since 2010, huge cuts to local authorities who weirdly are the ones responsible for this. You'd think it would be central government, actually it's local authorities. It is, it has traditionally fallen to local authorities and you're quite right about the cuts. So the care, social care funding has been cut by six billion since 2010 which is a huge number and particularly troubling number given that the number needing care rises by about 2.8 percent a year we have to put it in very blunt terms in aging population and we don't necessarily have the money earmarked to help them we're really uncomfortable talking about social care aren't we as a as a as a nation just the idea of you know sitting down with your family and talking about how you're going to deal with this issue that makes the whole topic very tricky for anyone to really engage in right it's not the ideal dinner table conversation to sit down and go let's talk about what happens if there's dementia in the family or somebody needs to go into supported housing it's not necessarily a comfortable thing to be dwelling on if you've got an elderly parent or somebody in your family who needs extra support. You know, these aren't the type of things we want to think about happening to our loved ones. We don't want to think through the details of what kind of specific help they might need. But we do need to have that conversation. OK, well, let's try and do that. Steph, thank you very much indeed. OK, in a moment, we'll be joined here in Westminster by Liz Kendall. But first, 
Governments have tried to grapple with this issue in the past, of course. In 2011, David Cameron asked The Economist Andrew Dilnot to chair a commission on the funding of care and support. Dilnot and his team spent the best part of a year hearing evidence and compiling their reports. He's here now to explain what they came up with and why it hasn't been implemented. And he starts by talking about the role that the private sector plays in delivering care. So our plan to fix in particular the risk pooling element was to say, well, look, the natural thing faced by that might be to ask the private sector to take on this challenge, but they haven't anywhere in the world. The reason that's the case is that while you or I, if we wanted to, could go out and buy health insurance for next year, we'd struggle to find someone who would sell us health insurance for 20 years from now. The provider says, well, I don't know what it might cost 20 years from now. There's too much uncertainty and that's there for social care. So the private sector will never provide insurance against this. So we said, actually, this is a classic case where we want social insurance, where the only institution that can do this risk pooling is the whole community. The whole community should do this. But most people think it's reasonable to pay something towards their own social care. So we don't have to provide social insurance for all of it. We said there should be a cap that people should be on their own for the first tens of thousands of their social care needs. But if they're one of the unlucky ones, the state should come in. We suggested setting a cap at between 25 and 50,000 pounds in 2010 prices. That would be about 60 or 65,000 pounds. Now the government came along in 2015 and said, well, we'll, we will set a cap, but it will be 72,000 pounds. The cost of, of putting the social insurance element in place is not big relative to total public spending of 700 billion pounds a year. Two billion pounds, not a very significant amount. But of course, the cost of the cap is only a part of the total cost of social care. I'd also argue strongly now, as I argued then, that the core, the bedrock of the system has to be making sure that the means-tested system is adequately funded. A number of, of people working in this area estimate each year what the scale of the funding gap is, what's the difference between what's needed and what's being spent. And those estimates are necessarily uncertain, but, but we're talking about lowish single figures, probably less than £5 billion a year, but that's enough to make a vast difference to the experience of local authorities trying to deliver this care and the individuals who need it. So overall, I don't think we are talking about vast sums of money relative to the government budget, but of course we are talking about extra money at a time when the government's finances are tight. That was Andrew Dilnot, who chaired the Commission on the Funding of Care and Support. You're listening to How to Fix. So, why has this been so difficult for politicians to grapple with? We're joined now by the Labour MP, Liz Kendall, who's a former Shadow Minister for Care and Older People, and I think it's fair to say one of the few MPs who's thought seriously about the issue. Liz, welcome. Thank you. Um, Let's start with the politics. Why do you think it's been so difficult to fix this issue? I think the main reason why this has been so difficult to fix is that a lot of people still don't really understand what social care is unless they've had personal experience of it, unless they have cared for an elderly parent or a disabled relative. And in fact, just yesterday I was talking to very intelligent friend of mine, mid-40s. He really didn't want to think about what it's like to get very, very old. And it is hard for us to have those conversations. 
we know we're going to live for longer, but we don't think that we're going to end up needing care. And if we do, we don't really want to think about it. So I think one of the reasons is that still, despite quite a high profile now, social care hasn't been at the top of the agenda, in part because a lot of politicians haven't experienced looking after a very sick or frail relative. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is that, you know, the the NHS has always traditionally in the past been the sort of very high-profile health and care issue. That's got enough problems on its plate. How we fund social care is one of the most difficult issues of all. And the problem is a lot of parties come up with their proposals just before or sometimes even during a general election and all hell breaks loose. Uh, Let's talk then about the politics, because one thing you could say if you're trying to be optimistic is, well, at least the two major parties now are talking about it. There were sections on on social care, care generally in both the Labour and very famously, in the Tory manifesto. Is that a step in the right direction? And the Lib Dems. And the Lib Dems too. It has, I think it has finally burst forth as a serious political issue. Theresa May was right to say it was an issue that needs to be resolved. My fear is, you know, she's got her fingers burnt during the election with her proposals and she may back off that question altogether. But it has to be resolved The tricky thing politically is if it's going to be a fundamental reform, and I believe we need a fundamental reform, not just in how the NHS and social care are funded, but also provided, that will take a long time to deliver. And therefore, you need political consensus. And let's face it, we're not exactly living in a time when uh, the parties are falling over themselves to achieve consensus but before the election Norman Lamb from the Lib Dems, Sarah Wollaston from the Conservatives and myself and many others said we need a cross-party approach to that. The trouble is that has proved very very tricky in the past. Do you think your own party's leadership is strong enough on this issue? Do you think they have grappled with it enough? I think in our manifesto you saw a commitment to firstly looking at the NHS and social care together. That's the first thing I'd say. You can't look at one without the other. And secondly, I was pleased to see, very pleased to see in that, the acknowledgement that we need to take a cross-party approach to it. And that thirdly, we actually need to build a new system that brings the health and social care together and looks at a way that provides sustainable funding in the long term. Now, that's very, very high level. It's when you get into the what and the how that it gets far more tricky. But I would also say that there are many on the backbenches, myself included, who may have more freedom and scope to talk about these issues and genuinely work with others across the house to try and deliver something that actually makes a difference to people's lives. Can I ask you a little bit about that line in the manifesto? Labour's manifesto says care in the community has become a cover for unseen neglect. Because I know you've spoken a lot in the past about bringing care back into the community, Mm. helping people access care from their own homes. How do we sort of make a national campaign to reform care on a local level? Yeah, I mean... Overall, we have to join up services and shift the focus towards prevention and early intervention and help people do what they want to do, which is live in their homes for as long as possible. One of the issues I think that has bedeviled uh, social care in the past is that certainly care at home has often 
been really invisible uh, in the public realm. It's not like ambulances queuing outside A&Es. It's very frail elderly people and what happens you know, in their houses when someone get, comes in to help them get them wash, uh, up washed, dressed and fed. There's another issue, I think, which is that carers are predominantly female. And I think caring issues have, have often been neglected in the past. But I do think that that issue has come to the fore, not least because the inadequate, poor quality, not enough, not enough good quality care in the home and in the community has led to these vast increases in pressure on the NHS. Elderly people ending up in hospital and getting stuck in hospital when they don't need to be there. That's bad for them and their families and costs the taxpayer far more. My point is the funding issues are very important, but we also need reform in the way that care is provided. And so far, we, you know, there's always talk about joined up working partnerships, pooling budgets and resources. I think we need something much more radical, which is a single ring fence budget for health and social care. I would argue with an independent body, a bit like the OBR, which assesses how much funding is really needed to try and take the funding questions a bit more out of the you know, political argy-bargy, but also with a single body commissioning those services that they are genuinely seamless because most people don't see their health and social care's needs as separate. It's all part and parcel. When we were talking to Andrew Dillnock before, he was saying, when you, when you look at the figures, it's not that much. It's a few billion pounds to fund his proposals which in the grand scheme of things isn't massive but he was also pointing out as you just mentioned there we're not thinking about what we lose i mean everyone talks about the costs of properly funding the health and social care in future but the costs are here anyway it's just where do they fall do they fall entirely on the individual who may be unlucky enough to get dementia or do we decide as a society we're going to pool our resources share our risks so that everyone has decent support if they need it millions are wasted on delayed discharges from hospital because elderly people can't get the care they need at home. Family carers ending up relying on benefits, losing their wages. And it is going to happen to more and more of us. You know, one in three babies born this year is going to live to be 100. This is not a thing that should be taking us by surprise. I suppose it comes back to what you were saying about making those invisible bits of labour visible as well, in that if you're caring for a parent with dementia, there's not really been 20 years of very visible dementia campaigns in the way that cancer people have done tremendous work to raise awareness of what people are doing and what burden falls on a care in that area. Do we also need to do something that's more of an informative campaign to let people know what work people are doing and make a case for supporting carers better? I do think we have to be more vocal about the costs and the burdens people have already got. You know, in the last parliament, as an MP, I remember getting over, you know, 100 emails from constituents about saving the forests. Now, very important issue. I got four about the care crisis, right? And that, in my view, is a far bigger and more fundamental issue facing the country. Why is it? It's partly because it's invisible. It's partly because the people who need that care are very frail and elderly. It's partly because the uh, paid carers... You know, often home carers work in isolation. 
And it is also because family carers are just too busy dealing with it. I mean, anybody who has gone through this, the struggle, the guilt, you know, trying to balance looking, holding down a job, looking after your kids and going to care for your elderly mum or dad. It's, it's a very fraught, emotional situation. But we're all going to be facing it as we grow older. In an ideal world, how would we pay for it? What would the split be, you think, fairly between... Mm taxpayers and individuals how much would be sort of an insurance pot how much would be down to you know person circumstance well the barker review that was done a couple of years through the king's fund i think provides a very good starting point it calls for a single budget for health and social care a single commissioner an independent body as i said before to assess how much funding is required It calls also for fundamental reform to deal with these inequities that I've talked about between the NHS and social care, including uh, providing free care for those with critical and substantial needs. And they argue, and I think we should look at this, that how we pay for that is firstly to look at the money that you may be able to get from better off pensioners, but also to look at wealth taxes, looking at inheritance tax, capital gains tax. It also calls for us to look at national insurance, both whether those working beyond 65 should pay a lower level of national insurance, they don't pay any at the moment now, and also uh, higher levels of national insurance for people aged over 40, because you know we are the ones who are going to be needing care in the next step. So I think that's a good starting point to look at how you share the costs fairly across the generations, how you look at this really important issue of inheritance and capital gains tax, but that you combine that with reforms to the system because it's very hard to ask people to pay more for care when what they hear about at the moment is poor quality care in a failing system. All of that, they believe, and and I agree, should be hypothecated. Liz Kendall, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Britain is not the only country facing this challenge. In Germany, they are a step or two ahead of us. The social care system and long-term care insurance covers the entire population. A small percentage of your monthly pay goes into the pot. And if an individual needs care, part of that cost is covered by that insurance. Daniel Drapper is the editor of BuzzFeed Germany and has written a book about social care in Germany called Jedeslicht Allein. And he joins us now from Berlin to explain more. Daniel Drapper, thank you very much for joining us on How to Fix. More than welcome. Can we begin by talking about how the care system works in Germany? So there is uh, like a social security type of um, insurance. You have to pay like out of your income a certain percentage everyone uh, pretty much pays out of their income a certain percentage into a pot and then this money is used to help you when you're falling ill when you are old when you need care depending on how much care you need you get a certain amount of money um, that helps you pay for your uh, for your nursing home is it a progressive system so the more you earn the more you pay the less you earn the more you'll receive Yes, so you do have a percentage of your income. So definitely, the more you earn, you the more you you contribute. But there is a certain cap, like with all public insurances in Germany, like it's not indefinitely. Like if you 
like you earn several million euros a month or a year or whatever, and you don't have to pay the same percentage. There was a cap on it. But in general, you can say it's a progressive system. Can you talk a little bit about the history of this system, when it came in and, and what the discussions were like at the time? So the system is about 20 years old. Before that, the nursing homes and the social care was pretty much financed through um, tax income. Um, there had been like a regional and localized financing. So in the cities and the, and the little villages had, had to finance a lot, lot of the money. And um, then they reformed it. They introduced this insurance uh, about 20 years ago in the early 90s. And since then, it hasn't changed a lot. And so there are a lot of people who say that there should actually be uh, like a big reform of the system. Okay, let's talk about that then now. What what are the problems that this system now has? What are the challenges Germany's facing? One of the problems is that like you you have only a few standards um, for nursing homes that they have to to follow. So um, there is not, for example, like a a set amount of patients per nurse, for example. So you have a lot of like wiggle room if you run a nursing home and like can make money out of it and, and, and there's not enough government oversight that the people in the nursing homes are actually treated well. There is quite a lot of money in the system, but not all of the money is used to care for the people. On the whole, though, would you recommend this system for the UK or indeed any other Western nation that is struggling to deal with a problem? So I think it's a great idea to have a system set up where people like have to pay into one pot and then like the people who really need it get something from it so like like um, this this general general like idea of like socialized risk so that that not like everyone has to care like for his own 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 future on its own like that, that, that you're not being being be left alone once you have a problem uh, health wise i think that's a great idea but but there's one big problem i think in the german system that also like sets a lot of other problems in motion and that is that the government pays only a certain amount of, of your uh, nursing home cost, of your care cost. And this amount is about half of the, of the money that you need for these nursing homes. And that sets, sets in motion a lot of other things. And I think actually like to, to make nursing homes better, to make care better, to make it better for the people actually who need care, and, and these are more and more people in the future, um, you should set up an insurance that covers the whole cost. But has to get more money up front from, from the people who, who pay into it. Daniel Drepper in Berlin, thank you very much indeed for joining us on How to Fix. Thanks so much. So, Steph is back with me. And Steph, Germany sorted this out 20 years ago. Why can't we? Because of money, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, isn't it? How many of these episodes are just going to end with money? But what I thought was interesting from what Liz Kendall was saying is that... There seems to be a sort of political consensus now that this is an issue we need to deal with, even if no one is quite wants to commit to what the solution is. And indeed, from speaking to Andrew Dillner earlier in the programme, we can see there is that cross-party consensus there. I think the question in the British context is going to be, are we going to do things like that, or is our government going to be tied up for the next four years with that whole other thing we're worrying about? Are we allowed to say the B word on this programme? Shall we say the B word? Brexit. Fine. Said it. It's done. We're not, can I just point out, we're not going to do a how to fix Brexit. No, because we're, you know, we're doing a podcast. We're not magic. (laughs) We only have half an hour, if that. But in terms of breaking down into taking some of the financial burden on the individual, 
redistributing some of that risk, those things that Liz was talking about and that we were just hearing about working quite well in Germany, that to me sounds doable. But maybe I'm an eternal optimist. No, no, I, I think it's doable. What's striking actually is, so Liz kind of mentioned another report as well as the Deal Not Commission. There was the, the Barker report. This has been talked about. There have been experts in rooms for many, many years. It seems like the answers are there. It's just we're lacking political will. So would you say we know how to fix it? We just don't know how to convince people to get on and get it fixed. I guess I probably am saying that, yeah. OK, well, that seems like a good place to leave it. Should we go over and ask them in Westminster? <laughs> <laughs> we can see Big Ben from here. Not chiming, obviously. We can't hear it, but we can see it. Uh, that is it for How to Fix. Our thanks to Andrew Dillnot, Liz Kendall, Daniel Drapper, and, of course, Steph Boland. How to Fix was recorded and edited by Matt Hill at Rethink Audio here in the heart of Westminster. For further reading, I know you want it, go to www.prospectmagazine.co.uk slash howtofix. We've got links to Andrew Dillnott's report, uh, Daniel Drapper's book on social care, if your German is up to it, uh, as well as a speech that Liz Kendall gave on this issue. We've also copied and pasted for posterity the Tory manifesto section on social care. Join us next week when we try to work out how to fix newspapers. I'm Steve Bloomfield. That was How to Fix. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.